podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Coming up on the 1012 podcast today, we are recapping the end of the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament, our reactions to it, and the wild NCAA tournament that we have had, plus coaching news from around the Big 12 for men's and women's basketball. One note, the news from Chip Brown of 247 that Rodney Terry was going to get the head coaching job came out after we had our discussion about whether or not he should. We're talking about that, TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and much more. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Some news about the show coming up. Obviously, a lot to get to. Luckily, I don't have to do it alone, especially when we talk about women's basketball hires. I know the person I will turn to when it comes to that particular topic we will discuss in relation to the Big 12 will be the Vibe Queen herself, Jamie Steyer Johnson, JSJ. Yes, there's, hey, it's it's crazy out here. We got new schools coming in. We got new coaches coming to the new schools. It's, I mean, we got teams uh still waiting to to find or announce a new coach it's it's the wild west out here and it's not even the thick of portal season yet no we're not even close to the thick of portal season there's plenty of players entering the portal but we haven't even got recap that in like 30 days i'm not touching that i'm not i just uh, we'll (laughs) we'll see we'll see we'll see i make no promises uh either way also joining us uh, because his Kansas Jayhawks are the only team still active in the postseason in the final four of the women's NIT. Andy Mitz. Yeah, you know, I actually was looking before we got started. I was trying to see if there was any of the new teams that were coming that were active in either one, but I don't think so. But regardless, no, I was I was fully prepared for your I would throw it to the vibe queen and then but she's not here. No, <laughs> because that's the way that though that introduction was trending. But yeah, it no. is weird having the only Big 12 team in postseason action right now is a women's NIT team in Kansas Jayhawks who absolutely destroyed Arkansas to get revenge. Now, Holly, I'm just going to do this up front. Holly Kurzgeter was very quick to say that she does not compare their team to boys' teams. And, yes, she said boys' teams in a very um, dismissive fashion. So, um you know, they were not concerned at all about getting revenge for the football team, the men's basketball team, for both of their postseasons being ended by the Arkansas Razorbacks. You know, boys will be boys, and they can deal with their own things. Uh, yep. Obviously, we'll get to Kansas here in a bit. We've got some uh, coaching hires or near hires or soon-to-be hires we'll talk about. we got to talk about the weirdest, wackiest, wildest NCAA tournament of our lifetime. Folks, I did scroll through every bracket. Since the tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985, this is the first time ever we have not had a one, two, or three seed in the final four. Folks, we have a four, two fives, and a nine. Only one of the top 16 seeds in the men's NCAA tournament is still active in the final four. One of Florida Atlantic, who had never won an NCAA tournament game before this year, where San Diego State is playing for a national championship <laughs> a week from uh, today when this episode comes out. Just let that sink in for a moment for you. Only one team left has won a national championship before. That is UConn. At this point, I feel pretty good in saying that's the team I would put money on to win the national championship this year. That team is insane. Um, this is a Big 12 show. So, let me kind of put my thoughts out real quick, and then I'll let Jamie and Andy hop in here. I've seen some people make some comments already about the Big 12 and this tournament. Um, I think, as we have said before, multiple things can be true at the same time. It is not always black and white. It is sometimes multiple truths. In this situation, A, the Big 12 was a freaking gauntlet this year. An absolute murderer's row 
Good luck if you survive gauntlet of a men's basketball conference. And only seven teams got in, and we all at one point thought ten could, but it just it's just too hard to stand up. We got seven in. You got two to the late eight in Kansas State and Texas. Nothing is going to hold. The Big Ten didn't get two in. Hell, the Big Ten didn't get one. The SEC couldn't get to the Elite Eight. The ACC still saying it doesn't matter. The Pac-12. <laughs> uh, like, look, the Big 12 got two teams in the Elite Eight. Four straight years with an Elite Eight team. Four straight. The 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 there's nothing you can say about this season and say this was a damn good season for a Big 12 conference. However, it is perfectly fine to also say for the Big 12 to not have a team in the Final Four when you had two of the highest remaining seeds in the Elite Eight in two-seed Texas and three-seed Kansas State and neither one is still dancing as we sit here on Monday, it is perfectly fine to be disappointed with the situation. Thought number one, this was a damn good season for the Big 12. It was the best conference in the country. Nothing that happens the rest of the way is going to change that. We have four teams left from four completely different conferences, none of which won their conference. Or their, it's just four really good teams. It has nothing to do with whether or not the Big 12 was good this year. Yes, this was a disappointing postseason for the Big 12, and it puts an ugly stamp on the end of what was an incredible year. And the final thing that is true this year's weird. And it's hard. Like Again, I just said this. So the first time ever you have not had a one, two, or three seed in the final four since at least the tournament expanded back in 1985. It's a weird, fluky-ass tournament. We've seen that the whole way, and it finally hit just full-blown fruition when you get to a final four with Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, UConn, and Miami. And And, and let's be honest. Like it would be just as fluky if UConn had been seated properly and was like a one or a two, like they probably should have been coming into the tournament. Um, you mean what this you mean really... number three in Kim Palm heading into the tournament, but was yeah, picked exactly. as a four seed? Exactly. Yeah. No. No. It's it's um this I think hammers home the point that this NCAA tournament was terribly seated, like across the board. There was a lot of issues with the way that they seated teams, where they put teams, everything that was going on. And there was just a lot of weirdness going on in all of college basketball this year. You know, I mean, Kansas, I'm not saying that they would have beat UConn had they gotten past Arkansas, but, you know, Kansas not even getting getting that opportunity with no Bill Self and dealing with uh, Kevin McCuller, who was still dealing with back issues, even, you know, even there. So, um, but Kansas was not unique in that, right? Dealing with weird circumstances, UCLA dealing without one of their best players. Like this was a tournament that was set up for weirdness, from the jump because of the misseedings, it was also set up for weirdness because there was multiple teams that had a key pieces missing. And so I, I was not expecting this. Like I, I, I come into every NCAA tournament expecting chaos because we always get chaos, just not quite to this degree. Um, I will say though, I would not, I would not actually say with the exception of UConn, I don't think these are like the four best teams. I think these are the four hottest teams that have found a very good streak that they can get on and favorable matchups and all of that. But that's the way that the NCAA tournament always is. There's a reason we say the NCAA tournament is a crapshoot because it depends extremely on matchups and getting some momentum early and stringing together some good performances and getting lucky. Like it's just as much skill of your players as it is luck and getting the right matchup. And that's it. Like there is a reason why getting the final four is an accomplishment. And there's a reason why a lot of coaches, while they get, you know, I guess, criticized for not making it further in the tournament, everybody can recognize why or which coaches are good coaches that just have bad luck of a tournament. I mean, there's there's things that can make things easier. Like you said, Andy, you know, you could have a coach that's really adaptable or a team that's really adaptable, but in the end, you just, you can't control some things. And so it... <laughs> It's it's interesting to see people acting like this is like a, a crazy tournament to a degree that past tournaments have not been, but to act like it's unprecedented for some of the best teams to not be in the final four, like that's just the way the tournament works. Like I thought we all understood that. 
<laughs> and so, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, obviously the goal is to win a national championship. That's, that's big for, for the elite teams to have that opportunity or for teams that maybe weren't looked at as elite, but go on an absolute tear. But I don't think that the only measure of success of a season is what you do in the tournament. Now, uh, you could look at my affiliation and say, of course, you would be saying that, Jamie. And I won't <laughs> deny that either. But it's it's also just factual. Like, there's a reason why you play the regular season. There's a reason why you crown regular season champions. There's a reason why you crown, you know, conference champions and then you go and you play the NCAA tournament you go and you play the NIT you know there, there's a lot of different measures of success and I wish that the Big 12 had a representative going into the final four or a couple obviously but they don't and it is what it is and you move on like they've absolutely been incredible over the past couple years, especially on the men's side, you look at what they've been able to do and the consistency the Big 12 has had, and sometimes you just, you you run into a little bit of a brick wall, and it is what it is. And you say, wow, at least this is still a fun tournament. At least we still get to go watch it, and then you have another year. Like, I don't know. I just, it's... It, it's not the be-all, end-all. It's big, it's impactful, but it's just not the be-all, end-all. Here, here's the last thing I'll say on the flukiness of this. It's wild because of the seeding of these teams. But this is a San Diego State team who's in the Final Four. Who There's still like four, I think four or five guys on this roster who were part of the 2019-2020 San Diego State team that went 30-2 before the tournament was canceled because of COVID. This is a Florida Atlantic team that lost three games all year. This is a UConn team who at one point was number two in the country and was top, I mean, again, top three in Ken Palm going into the tournament and seated as a four. And outside of a weird two and six run through eight games, and I was listening to the Ion College Sports Podcast because Matt Orlander does a great job, and I was just scrolling his Twitter for the last, like, hour trying to get some notes out of there. Like, they were talking about this UConn team. They said even during that eight-game stretch, they were still like, one of the 35 best teams in the country based off the metrics from Bart Torvik. So even when they had a weird run, they were still like a top 35 program. And outside of that, they've dominated their schedule. And then Miami. By like, the way, to be shot, honest, shots fired at Gary Parish, right? No. <laughs> well, but like, like <laughs> whatever. I'm joking. But no. I have, Gary Parish has made comments about Oklahoma State and the FBI investigation that oh, I gosh, don't yeah. forgive him for. But no, uh, I mean, no, no, hold on. So oh, uh, honestly, if you want to, if you want to say this is fluky, Miami is the flukiest team in this Final Four. If you want to be honest, like yes, because San Diego State had never been to a Final Four before. Yes, because FAU had never won a tournament game before. It's super weird, right? Like UConn is not that surprising that they're in the Final Four. FAU and, and San Diego State both making their first Final Four trips ever, and one of them is going to be in the national championship, is, is insane. Miami is almost, though, the flukiest one of them because, like, did any of us think Miami was even going to get past? Like, we all were like, well, Miami could lose in the first round. And they almost did. Like, that Miami is here is almost the weirdest of all four of them to me, based off of, oh, like, easily. Like, you look at, you look at uh, uh, San Diego State. San Diego State is in the exact same position that Gonzaga was in, you know, a decade ago, where they were a very good team in a very bad conference, and nobody knew whether to take them seriously or not because yeah, you don't man. know with that conference, right? That was like zero so, and eleven in the tournament before this Final Four run. <laughs> no, 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 fair, right? But it's like it's 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 one of those where San Diego State was a very good team in a very bad conference. Normally, Gonzaga is the same sort of thing. They're a very good team in a very bad, for the most part, conference. And yes, you know, the the WCC has St. Mary's and they have BYU, who's normally decent. Um, it's it's easy, though. Like, you go back to when Gonzaga first started making a name for themselves. They were the only team in the West Coast Conference that was any good at all. And San Diego State is in a very similar situation where they have built a very good team that got none of the credit that it deserved because they were in a horrible conference and nobody knew what to do with them. You know, I mean, this was a team that was 31 and six. They they had a much better record than Creighton did. 
um, you know, they had proven themselves, I think, in a lot of different games. The problem was that they got discounted. You know, look at, at FAU. They've only lost three games the entire year. And again, another instance where they're in a conference, you have no idea what to do with them. But, you know, obviously with the history of FAU not having won an NCAA tournament game before this, like, yes, you can understand why people didn't immediately jump on them. But if you're looking for teams that are surprising but shouldn't be surprising, the, that's the mold, right? It's a team that has, was very good in a conference that we didn't know what to do with. And they've been playing well all year long. We just discounted it because of the conference that they were in. So, yeah, UConn doesn't really surprise me because of the, you know, where were they with Ken Palm. Looking back on it now, like, I shouldn't have been surprised by Florida Atlantic with the way that they've been playing. For them to make a deep run, getting all the way to the Final Four, like, it's hard to pick any team to the Final Four unless they're one seed that's been killing stuff all, all year long. Or they're in a, you know, like, they're basically playing in their backyard like a team like UCLA that we thought. So, I just, it, it's hard for me to say that Florida Atlantic was super surprising when you actually look at the team itself. Same with San Diego State. When you look at the team itself and try to not pay attention to the name of the school or the conference that they were in, and you look at profiles of teams that are going to make the final four, those two fit. The one that doesn't fit, you're right, is, is Miami. They're like coming out of nowhere in a, in a horrible ACC, have had tons of issues all year long, and they got super hot, kind of like they did last year, making it to the Elite Eight last year, getting super hot, getting through a, you know, very favorable bracket. They did the same thing again this year. Um, you know, so it's just, it's been very interesting, I think, for them to, to make it, but they are the surprise team. Some coaches are good in the tournament. Some aren't. Like, let's just, let's just call it like Shaka Smart outside of a wild file four in a run. It's just not good in the tournament. Jim Laranaga at Miami, pretty good. Only He is taken, he is now taken two schools to their only trips to the final four, Miami and George Mason. So there's a fun fact on Jim Laranaga. Uh, shout out to Fran Fraschillo for this one, if you want to feel good about the Big 12. Since 2019, the Big 12 Conference now has five different schools who have made the Elite Eight, three different ones of the Final Four, and two national champions, three teams to the national championship. And four of those five schools who have gone to the Elite Eight will be here once Oklahoma and Texas leave. So just remember, it's not just like Kansas has done all this. That's how good the conference is. This isn't like football. It's just Alabama and Georgia. No, 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 no. Like it's that good across the board. Um, I want to wrap our kind of our tournament talk on this. Obviously, the losses by Texas, and uh, and we'll talk about Texas more in a little bit. And Kansas State are disappointing. Uh, the most disappointing thing to me is the end of Marquise Noel's run at Kansas State. Um, I wanted him to keep going. They handed out the 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 player awards for each region. He was named the MOP for that uh the east region uh, which i know that kansas state didn't make the final four i don't care that guy had an absolutely utterly incredible postseason run it was sign- uh, sign- uh, similar to the start of big 12 play we were talking about how incredible he had started the year uh that's one of the best point guard seasons in big 12 history period end of story i will not hear any argument against it if you want to say it's not the best that's fine i don't care we can banter about that but one of the best um it is disappointing to me that he now finishes his year two assists shy of tying, three assists away from taking the all-time single-season Big 12 assist record away from Doug Gottlieb, who did it in 1998-1999. Marquise Noel finishes with 297 assists on the year. Gottlieb had 299. Had they found a way to win that game, Marquise Noel is sitting with the all-time single assist record in the Big 12 conference. Uh, hands down, no problem there. Alas, he will finish too shy. Um, I don't care. Like That was just what he did in the tournament and what he did against Florida Atlantic when, frankly, especially late in the game, I don't know what the plan was because it seemed like too many guys were standing around, especially after Keontae Johnson went out. Like Noel put that team on his back and did everything he could to try and get that win. Uh, that I'm not saying we should go back and change who the Big 12 player of the year was. I'm not going to do that. But damn, what a year from Marquise Noel. Would help to not be on mute. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, the Kansas State fans are like, oh, Andy's got nothing to say, huh? Okay. No. Look, I was I was rooting for Kansas State. One, because I was rooting for Jerome Chang and those two players, mm-hmm. specifically, Noel and, and Johnson. Um, 
you know, I have my history with Kansas State fans, and that was really the only thing kind of giving me pause, right, is that is that uh, much like every fan base, there are some very vocal fans that would have made the, the experience unpleasant. But, you know, Jerome Tang, you want to root for that guy. You want to root for those players. Kansas State was probably one of the best stories of the college basketball season. And it's sad that it had to come to an end. Just like if Texas had made a Final Four, it would have been a great story for a guy like Rodney Terry taking over a team, you know, being able to bring them to a Final Four. I'm sad for the Big 12 that neither of them were able to move on. Um, you know, but much like some of the other streaks that have been going on in, in all of of uh, college basketball. And actually, I actually just looked at something related to the UConn women not making the Final Four over there for the first time since 2007. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Big 12 winning, you know, two straight national titles is not as impressive as that probably when you look at the, like, the, to- the totality of it. But the fact that the Big 12 was not going to win every title from, you know, now until forever, despite Jamie's uh, pronouncements about Iowa State, you know, always going to win every <laughs> single title from this point forward. Um, we, we knew it wasn't going to happen. So it had to come to an end at some point. The fact that you had two teams that had an opportunity to get back to the Final Four, um, I'm sorry, to get to the Final Four, not back to the Final Four, um, was was a great story. I wish that we still were able to kind of talk about teams in the tournament from the, from the big 12, but you know, both of those teams are going to reload, be ready for next year. And, you know, it's, it's interesting what Texas is going to do from this point. I think that's kind of the bigger story. You know, that Kansas state's going to be back with a very good team. As long as Jerome Tang is there in Manhattan, they're going to be able to hit the transfer portal. Well, do what you need to do and get that program to continue to turn in good seasons like this. So it's an exciting time, I think, for the Big 12. I, I, I'm having a hard time looking at any particular coach right now on the men's side, especially, that you look at and you're just like, I don't know about that guy. It's it's a ridiculously deep coaching league on the men's side. There might be a couple where you're like, you know, there's hold a, on, wait a minute. Maybe there's a couple of fan time. bases who might quibble with you about that uh, well, at this particular moment. but uh... And that's fair, but I think if you're looking at the entirety of the season – all the situations that are going on. And of course, we're, you know, Texas Tech right now looking for a coach still, still kind of waiting for that to happen. Um, you know, so so like Texas, you're not really sure. But for the most part, you look at at the coaches that are here and the coaches that are coming in, and this is going to be a hell of a competitive conference for who knows how long. Well, for Texas and Kansas State, sorry, the run is over. What an incredible run it was. To drown your sorrows, may I suggest a trip to homefieldapparel.com to pick up the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel that there is. They've got a ton of great Texas gear. They have an incredible Kansas State lineup, as you know. They'll have every current and future Big 12 school there. I mean, I'm I'm excited to wear my Gonzaga. have a Gonzaga shirt in the drawer now, thanks to the mystery boxes that when Gonzaga is officially part of the Big 12, I don't have to go get a shirt because I've already got one ready to go. And a Yukon shirt, just in case that rumor comes to fruition. I don't think so. But that's another story for another day. But they have more than 100 schools available if you're a Big 12 school. And you can get 15% off your first order with the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2. That's 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel this year. I cannot wait to see, to get one more mystery box, Andy. Andy, I did not see. What was in your last mystery box, sir? Oh, um, I have not gotten mine yet. Unfortunately, there was a shipping issue that uh, for some reason it magically decided that they can deliver it this week, even though they delivered it last week. So um, I, I'm not really sure what's going on with the UPS right now. But once I get it, I will let you know which teams that I got shirts for that have probably already been eliminated at this point. But, you know, oh, well. But, Philip, I will say UConn does need to come to the Big 12 because I would love to be able to retroactively declare a Big 12 championship from UConn coming. So that's not how it works. Let's do it. We're not, you know what? Uh, Yeah, no, you know what though? It's not worth it. Talk to the sec because they are going to do that for pretty much everything that they can. I don't care. Texas A&M has like, we can be better. We can hold ourselves to a higher standard. And also I just, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want, don't, don't bring UConn over here. They can stay where they're at. No, thank you. No, that's a good point. Uh, I I look forward to seeing 
the last mystery box is a is like an original home field apparel like basketball t-shirt which is super neat and one more mystery tee i'm very interested to see if it will be one from the men's side of the final four or the women's side from the final four and as we were recording this um uh the peacock herself is back to the final four with lsu so hopefully i don't end up with a tiger we all saw the jacket we all saw the jacket of LSU's head coach. You That's all Flamingo. Know. Flamingo? Man, that looked like one of those like late-stage dinosaurs, you know, right before they're full-blown yes. chicken, but they're still uh, semi-velociraptor with wings. That's what that was. And a velociraptor with wings, I think, is a more appropriate description of Kim Mulkey. So, I'll say I'm looking forward to getting my uh, Louisville shirt in the, in the mail, you know, as part of that final one. So right now, Louisville up on Iowa as we're recording. And I know we talked last about not wanting to be that podcast update stuff as it's happening because, hey, guess what? It's not going to happen anymore. Or it's, it's already going to be done by the time people are listening, but still. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. Boom! Bosco's Boys is here. I think we all wanted it, and the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network, Bosco's Boys, the most consistent K-State podcast out there over four years with at least one episode a week, bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen, because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans, and I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. All right, we've got some coaching stuff to get to. Uh, some openings have been filled. Some are still need to be. What? Why is Jamie giving me that look? Jamie's frozen in that look. No, she's just. No, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> what I said, Caitlin Clark. Did I say the wrong name? Yeah, no, no. It's because it's because that means you're gonna have to have an Iowa Hawkeye shirt if you're gonna. You know, you're, you're, you're rooting no, for Iowa. Give me, they just put out an FAU line. Give me an FAU owl shirt. Come on. That's Heck what yeah. I need. I already have Miami and UConn. So I've got two of the final four teams were sent to me. So go ahead and give me FAU. Uh, I would love to have San I will Diego take an State because I have been saying San Diego State for quite a while. That's like my team that I think would be absolutely hilarious if they win the title. The Pay-12 should invite so, them too. No. Give it to uh, me. Okay. Coaching <laughs> hires. TCU. Uh, they have hired their new women's basketball coach, Mark Campbell, coming over after a couple of seasons of Sacramento State after a nice career as an assistant at Oregon where he put together some uh, hell of recruiting classes while he was there. He did a great job at Sacramento State in two seasons. I believe he took them from like, they were like six wins the year before he got there to like 11 to 20 something. Basically, if I recall correctly, he set They had the... three wins the year before he got oh, there. Oh, Good. Uh, the 25 this year, if I recall, is the most ever by either the men's or the women's Sacramento State program in their history. So I love the potential for this hire. I mean, we can't two years as a head coach elsewhere. Um, it's hard to know. He's obviously spent most of his time on the West Coast. Now he's coming to TCU, which is very much not on the West Coast, despite having a very large alumni base on the West Coast. This feels like a high potential hire. Jamie, what are your thoughts on Mark Campbell to TCU? I mean, I think it's a good hire. I think it's a program that has the ability to make a good hire and to be a good landing spot. You know, they're they're a program that has had some struggles in recent years. And, and I think that especially it, it hurt 
when the NCAA tournament was canceled because that would have been TCU's one bid in the past 10 years or so. So that, I mean, that definitely hurts. Um, but the, it's, it's, a, it's a team in Texas. It's a private school. Their, their athletic department is in a really great place right now. Uh, and it's just one of those things where you look at it and you're like, okay, if you can find the right person you can invest and you can really build up this program. And I think that finding someone who's had some success as a head coach, but even more importantly, has had sustained success as part of a larger program, even if you're not in charge, has had really good success with recruiting. I mean, recruiting is crucial, especially again, you're in Texas, you're in a hotbed of women's basketball talent. Um, and so I think that TCU certainly seems poised to uh, be ready to make that investment. And especially when you've got teams coming in, you have to be ready to set yourself apart in some way, because you're not going to be the worst out of 10. You're going to be the worst out of 14 and then 12 otherwise, you know? And so you, this is the time where you really make a push. So I think Campbell's a, a really great choice. Um, the rumor has it, he will bring at least one of his players with him. Uh, the first name that I heard was Isnel Natavu, I believe is how you say it. She's a 6'5 center. She's got a couple years of eligibility left. She put up really great numbers out at Sac State, was the freshman of the year in their conference. Um, and then you just see who's sticking around. They had some seniors, so uh, there's certainly a lot to shake out there still, but I really think your number one consideration has to be recruiting. Obviously you want someone who could coach, but you got to be able to get the kids in there in the first place. And that's, that's certainly someone who's capable of, of really stepping up recruiting. I do think this is an interesting hire. I'm excited to see how it works for TCU. Uh, I, I, I would expect, especially with the transfer portal nowadays, you can turn things around fairly quickly at Power 5 programs. So we'll see how he does in year one. Also in year one, in year one in the Big 12, Cincinnati's women's basketball program has made a higher alumni. Katrina Merriweather comes over after two years in Memphis, uh, five years I think successful five years as the head coach at Wright State, where she took uh, Wright State to two NCAA tournament trips uh, and finished at least tied for first three times at Wright State. Uh, as she got to Memphis, I didn't see the record the year before she got there, but she won 16 games in year one, 22 games in year two, made it to the uh, Super 16, as they call it, in the women's NIT. Memphis uh, had four wins the year before she started. So again, another like horrible team with a nice two-year turnaround in which in year two you have taken a program to 20-plus wins. Uh See, I don't. I know even less, or have done less research on Katrina Merriweather, mostly because I could find less information about even her time at Wright State. Uh, what are your thoughts on this hire, JSJ? I mean, again, I, I, I know a little bit less about her too, and this is just a more recent hire than Campbell. But I think that for for the incoming teams, you want to be poised in a position where if you're not competing at the top of the conference, you want to be able to have some consistency to build up over time. And by hiring someone that has prior connections to the program and has had success as a head coach, you're setting yourself up for that. So to bring in one of the winningest players in school history, who has shown that she has the capability to take teams that were struggling significantly and to flip them is huge. And you you have to think of you're you're moving into a power five conference, you're going to have increased resources because of that. And so yes, you're going to be playing against potentially higher levels of higher level teams, but at the same time, you're going to have more at your disposal. You're going to be able to sell that to your recruits. You're going to have more money to, you know, improve your program. And so I think that this is a really good choice. Uh, you're, you're in a little bit more 
of a precarious position, I'd say, being the ones coming in than, say, a TCU where they're already in the conference. They have had success. They've struggled for a while, but they've been there before. Um, so you, you certainly had to be really meticulous with this kind of decision. And so to find someone who has had, again, consistent, solid success and then has connections to the school, I think they're ticking all the right boxes um, I, I'm really intrigued just because Cincinnati really wasn't much of a player in women's basketball this year. Um, and it's going to be an adjustment coming to next year, but I certainly think that they're laying the, the groundwork to put themselves potentially be uh, a major player in the big 12, it, just depending on, you know, the players they get in things like that. But to have a coach who you think is probably going to stick around for quite a while. I mean, that's, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Last, unless you know of another one, I missed Jamie last women's basketball coaching uh, nugget. We need to discuss is West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don, and I am going to mispronounce her last name because I do it every single time. So I'm not going to try. Plitza White after one season at West Virginia is headed off to take the head coaching job at Minnesota. Uh, so this job is back open a year after uh, head coach Mike Carey retired. He has announced he is coming out of retirement and would be up for getting his old job back. Uh, so let's put it this way. Um, where are you leaning, Mike Carey or the field? I I don't know. It's This is a weird, weird situation. Um, in an interview, in, in the article where he discussed coming back out of retirement, he implies, if not says outright, that it was the previous administration at West Virginia that wanted him to retire in addition to his uh, own reasons of wanting to be able to spend more time with his family. Um, and so the the potential is there for him to, to make a comeback. Um, I think that a major concern has to be for the stability of the program, if you don't make the right hire, you're going to see an exodus of players. You're going to see a significant amount of decommitments, um, and you you can't you can't have this happen twice. Plitzwhite coming and then leaving is just one of those weird things that happens. Sometimes the Minnesota job was a perfect fit for her. I'm sure she had no intentions of doing so when she came to West Virginia, but life happens. Uh, rumors say she didn't handle it. Great is what it is, but you need to make sure that the hire you're making is a really good one. And so Carrie had some really high levels of success at West Virginia. He didn't really have any terrible seasons, and that's that's something for sure. And you also have to think of the fact that he recruited a lot of the players that are there. Uh, you see someone like J.J. Quinterly, who is the future of the program, and you got to be trying to keep players like her around. So I think it's a tough place to hire to at this moment. And so I'm having a tough time finding a name that's better than his. And so I don't know that it's a, a super exciting hire. It's certainly not a flashy one, but at this point they may need to just go for consistency and that would be him. The only thing I'd be concerned about is, I mean, he's already retired once, right? This is probably not a Bill Snyder type situation where he retires for two, three, you know, for three years and then, the other guy leaves and he comes back and coaches for another, you know, eight or nine years. I forget what the actual numbers are specifically with Bill Snyder, but like you have to assume that if Kerry is going to come back, it's going to be a more of a short term hire. So what's the plan for after that? Do you well, rip the, I mean, I don't I know mean, that you have to assume that if, if the, he kind of got pushed out was real. And the, before this interview, I was having a discussion with someone else about this job and the only name we could come up with was his son who just spent a year coaching at a D2 school because he was on Carey's staff at West Virginia. So does he maybe keep 
with the head coaching job or does he come back as the head of staff if Kerry's in charge and then eventually if they can get the program into a good spot you can kind of hand over the keys there possibly well I also just realized I just looked up how old Kerry is and it's not nearly as old as I thought it was so I was gonna I say explain. he's pretty he's young 60, yeah, 64. That, that would, yeah yeah so no, I just knew he had coached there for, you know, 21 years. Yeah, he's he's got um, a long history like, there. He'd been there for a long time. I did not realize he was quite so young when he actually started there, which um, does definitely make a difference. I mean, you see a lot of coaches that are retiring, you know, kind of in that range. So I wouldn't put it past him. But if he is really adamant about wanting to come back, the, you know, there's nothing saying he couldn't coach for another eight or nine years now that I, you know, see what the age is. So I will walk that one back very um as gracefully as i possibly can here here's the, here's the deal uh he was 462 and 254 at west virginia overall 219 and 111 in the big 12 at west virginia uh he made the NCAA tournament most every year uh, or at least the postseason pretty much every year now he'd never gotten past the second round in the NCAA tournament he made it the second round numerous times and so i think with mike carey there's a certain amount of like you kind of know what you're getting and if you're okay with that then it's a good hire and it's going to stabilize the program and you know you're going to continue to have sustained success. But it does feel like, based off a very long history, unless there's some significant changes within the athletic department and more resources, that you kind of know what you're going to get with Mike Carey. And I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing. Making the NCAA tournament most every year, getting a win in the NCAA tournament most of the time, like it's not a bad life to live in women's basketball. It just, it kind of depends on how much of a priority that sport is for a West Virginia program or athletic department whose men's basketball team is going to do an all right. Whose football program is, might be looking for a new head coach. Like there's a lot going on at West Virginia. So, I mean, stability might be a good thing. And knowing you have a women's basketball program with a head coach, that's going to have success based off of the history that you've had with that head coach in charge and just bringing him back, especially if he wants the job and could probably coach for their, 10 plus years in it, given he's only 64 years old. So it was one to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, on the men's side, there are two jobs to keep an eye on. And I think both will probably be solved and decided this week fairly quickly. The first one, of course, is Texas Tech. We'll talk Texas in a second. The first one is Texas Tech. And um, all indications, all arrows, everything point to North Texas head coach Grant McCaslin becoming the next head coach at Texas Tech. Uh, the last piece or nugget that we had seen on this, Jeff Goodman had been uh, tweeting about it uh, last week. Uh, he had posted on March 21st on Twitter that UNT head coach Grant McCaslin has emerged as Texas Tech's top target after the Red Raiders have swung for a few big names and missed. Uh, Grant McCaslin is still coaching in the NIT. The last tweet about this on the 22nd was been told by Jeff Goodman is quote, been told that McCaslin to Texas Tech could be announced shortly after North Texas finishes playing in the NIT. Uh, they were playing in the, uh, I, I guess we'll call it the final four of the NIT. Uh, that is Tuesday and uh, Tuesday is the final four. I think Wednesday is the championship game out there in Vegas. Uh, they are playing against or, or Wisconsin, who is not very good, and yet here we sit. North Texas is favored. At this point, I feel like Texas Tech will be welcoming a new head coach coming off of an NIT title in Grant McCaslin to Texas Tech here by the end of the week, given whenever that national the championship game is for that. Uh, I think it's probably going to be like Wednesday or Thursday. I have no idea. It's Thursday. Now I have the answer now that I've done a little digging. So Tuesday is the two semifinals. Thursday is the championship game. Uh, so we should probably expect some sort of news in relation to Texas Tech by, I would say Wednesday at the earliest, maybe Friday or next Monday at the latest. But unless some curveball comes in, it, Texas Tech is going to probably hire Grant McCaslin. He's been trying to get a head coaching job. And basically in the Big 12 for a while, he was connected to Kansas State. He was connected to Oklahoma. Now, this feels like absolutely a job that he would like to stay in Texas. He has been a head a assistant at Baylor previously. So the Baylor, the Scott Drew coaching tree within the Big 12 continues to grow. We'll have Grant McCaslin probably along with Jerome Tang. Hey, third time's the charm, right? In terms of trying to get jobs in the Big 12. Hey, why not? 
the other one. Here's the one we need to discuss. Look, I said it on Twitter, and I stand by it. I think Texas Tech should hire Rodney Terry. I think it is the right move. Um, I For all those saying, why hasn't Texas given Rodney Terry a head coaching contract yet? Because the season is still going. And I understand not overreacting to what's been going on this season. Now, look, he's been the head coach for the majority of this year. This, this run, what they have done this year, they're finishing the Big 12 in the regular season, winning the Big 12 championship, making it to the lead eight, first lead eight they made since I think it was like 2004 or something. Not four. Uh, it's been a minute. Like, that's all Rodney Terry. That is his coaching. There is no question at this point that the man knows how to coach and take on a program who dealt with what it dealt with in Chris Beard being removed from the program early in the season, way earlier in the season. But I also understand that, oh yeah, this is their highest seed since 2008. I mean, look, I get waiting. I get saying we're going to wait till the end of the year and have a conversation about this. I get with everything Texas has as far as resources saying, we're going to just check to see if we can get a, hey, we get why you didn't hire Rodney Terry because you hired this guy instead. My problem with this point is, like, there's all the Cal rumors. I don't think he's leaving Kentucky. I don't. Uh, Especially not since they were able to make the tournament. Like, name me the coach, either of you, right now, where you, if Texas said, congratulations, this is our new head coach, where you would go, oh, okay, yeah, you've hired him, or her, I'll just be that way, like, you've hired him, now I get why you didn't hire Rodney Terry, you had this guy coming in, completely get it, understand, sorry, Rodney Terry, like, Who's the one name you would say, got it, and be okay with? I mean, I, I can't think of anybody at all. The, the problem, the, I think. that The only one pitched to me that I was even like, okay, was Billy Donovan if he decides he's done in the NBA and wants to come back to college basketball. But even then, I'm like, he's been in the NBA for a while. Yeah, he went to college at Florida. Like, right. And I was like, but that's, yeah. again, I'm th- any name. Like, like in, in cut, realistic, yeah. realistic names. Like, some some NBA guy who you're just like, no, 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 that's an incredible hire. But like, like you get um, former Butler head coach who was the Boston head coach who's now just the GM of Boston, whose name has completely escaped me, who's not going to come back to college basketball. But like the point is, I can't think of a name realistically. Brent Stevens, by the way. Thank you. I can't think of a name realistically that you would actually say Texas had hired this person and me go, okay, I get why you waited and didn't hire Rodney Terry. I get why it's the end of the season. It's been two weeks and you haven't hired him. At this point, I would expect the news of Rodney Terry being the next head coach of Texas men's basketball within by at least midweek, if not the end of this week. Rick Barnes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, Randy, that joke is Texas got further with Rodney Terry than Rick Barnes got with Tennessee. I know, so, I know. Uh, we're going to hire a Sweet 16 coach. Not a... No, wait, no, no. Sweet 16? Yeah, Sweet 16 coach over at Elite Eight coach. Um, no, uh, the, the thing I'm worried the most about is that the the comeback that Miami had is going to be the excuse that the boosters need to meddle and, and convince them to not hire Rodney Terry. I don't know of anybody that you can point to to say that that person is going to do better than Rodney Terry can. And I understand the, the concern, right, about, you know, about talking, you know, who, where he was before that and the, the kind of a, you know, the the success that he had at his prior stops and all that. But to your point, he was 22 and 7 as the head coach of Texas this year. That's a good record, you know, in the Big 12, like anywhere, honestly. And he didn't get to pat it with the, you know, 7 and 1 record that Beard had at the beginning of the season. Like, yes, you have to worry about like these weren't guys that he recruited. So the question is, do you expect him to be able to recruit at a high level that you need at Texas? There are legitimate possibilities of why you might not want to have him. The problem is if you're going to say no to hiring Rodney Terry, you need to have another name and a uh, where you can point to and say that person actually gives us what we're looking for that Rodney Terry cannot. Because Rodney Terry's already shown he can coach in a game. Sure, every coach has some you know times where something happens and you know they they you know lose games they probably shouldn't or they make a bad call or stuff like like anything that Rodney any any criticism you have of the job he's done on the court this year 
is not anything that another coach you can bring in is never going to have happen to them. And so he did a really good job as the interim coach in that tough situation, keeping that team together. Literally, I think the only thing that you can question at this point is, is he going to be able to recruit at the level that Texas needs to be able to go ahead and continue that success? And honestly, I don't know. I don't know what his recruiting was like everywhere else, but I can't, I can't look at anybody else around the country that is reasonably going to be available that can have that sort of on-court performance. And I know for sure is going to be a better recruiter than Rodney Terry. And, and, and at that point with what he's done, taking them to elite eight, you know, like I would expect, or I think if they're being rational about it, he needs to have his new contract announced within the end of the week. And just as a side note, Head coaches are very rarely the primary recruiter anyway. So, I mean, if you if you can sell what you've done with the program and the ability to keep them together and keep them on track through what they dealt with over the course of this year, I mean, that's right. that's all you probably need is the head coach. Right. In, in, in recruiting, recruiting, the head coach is the closer. Like He's the guy that comes in and says – you built the relationships, you know, with my, with my assistants. I think this is how we can, like, he's not the primary recruiter. Yes. Like he has to be able to close the deal, but you know, so, so there is definitely still some recruiting aspect to it, but well, you can paper it's over more on the a, merits of your recruiter. coaching ability. Yeah, exactly. Also you're at Texas. Like one of the problems for Shaka Smart was Shaka Smart You're wasn't able the to bag. Well, no, but here's the deal. Like, wh- well, now everyone can. But one of the problems for Shaka Smart was that Shaka Smart couldn't always recruit the kinds of guys he wanted because he had to recruit all these five-star players. Like, he didn't get the kinds of players who played the style that made him successful at Marquette and at at VCU. He got a ton of talent, but it wasn't. It was. I don't think he always got guys that fit what he wanted to do, which is why he coached a different style. It's not like you. It's really hard to recruit at Texas. You really got to work your tail off to get players, top players, to show up to the University of Texas for anything. What do like, you do with all these four and five star recruits? I mean, God, my God, what are we gonna do with these? Like, it's hard to be like, well, how did he do at Fresno State and UTEP? Like, I understand his three U three years at UTEP weren't good. It's UTEP. It, it, nothing's good at UTEP. I'm sorry, and I, I'm not trying to be mean, but like, it, it's the case. He did a a decent job at Fresno State, like. I think he was the, he, there's a reason he's the head coach here. He was the top assistant Texas, Texas had for Chris Beard. So like, I, I understand the like, well, like, I don't even think the recruiting argument is a valid argument. And I think that's the only argument against him is like, well, he wasn't, right, the, right, he wasn't like, the head coach when these guys got here. Well, he's the head coach now and they played their absolute asses off for him. So I think that tells us all we need to know about how these players feel about Rodney Terry. Plus, you know, I mean, if he's having trouble recruiting, all he has to do is hit the transfer portal and use, you know, NIL money to pull ding, ding, you know, ding. really great players from, you know, other Big 12 schools. You because know. because sorry, high school sorry, students. Sorry for your mentions, Philip. Because, because, you know, high school students don't care about NIL. They're all in it for an education. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, I, I, I think it's Rodney Terry's job. I don't care how the game ended against Miami. Like, if that's the only – if you're the guy's like, well, he didn't get to the Final Four – Neither has like anybody since 2000 and what I, I saw it. It was like 2003. It's been a minute. Okay. It's been a while since they got there. So it's been more than 10 years. Let's, 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 let's let it, it's fine. I, I will be shocked. I would be more shocked by Rodney Terry, not getting the job than like Grant McCaslin somehow not ending up Texas Tech's head coach at this point. Like I just, I feel like that's how it is. Okay, uh, we're gonna wrap on these two last things. I had other notes, but we're gonna leave them. By alone. the way, sorry, sorry, you you brought it up a couple times. Last Final Four for Texas was in two thousand three. Two thousand three, so twenty years. You're off when I said so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Two last things. This is for both of you, Andy. Uh, you've got a couple minutes. Uh, Kansas, as we mentioned. Kansas women are the last Big 12 team active in the basketball postseason. They're in the Final Four. We'll be hosting Washington, if I recall correctly. Washington, Wednesday at 6.30 in Lawrence. If you are a Kansas fan or just for some reason want to come watch Kansas women's basketball, um, more the merrier. Look, it's going to be – it was the biggest crowd tonight uh, when we're recording this that Kansas women's basketball has had since, I believe, 2009. Um, wow. it's been, a, or maybe, maybe it was 2019. I, it was, 
it was it's been a while it's or 1999 there was a nine years. in there who knows yeah right well no I, I i anyway it's been a while for several years at least um it was a it was a really loud crowd tonight there was a lot of people there there was 4800 people um which is a lot for a women's game you know in, in a place like allen Fieldhouse where you don't typically have huge crowds so and there was nowhere near as many arkansas fans there as there were nebraska fans around before but um, this is a team, I think, that has shown the ability to win. And, and you know, uh, Arkansas coach Mike Neighbors said it in the in the post game press conference. Kansas is showing right now that they probably should have been an NCAA tournament selection. The way that they've been playing, the the weapons that they have, and like the ability to do stuff. Yes, they had a hiccup against TCU at the end, but we've talked about it on here. The Big Twelve Women's Conference has not gotten the respect that it deserved, and Kansas was the you know exhibit one A of that for them not getting it into the NCAA tournament. So they are on a mission to go and win the, the, the WNIT to kind of show you know, that this is, this really matters for them. And they've had different players step up in every single one of those four games. Um, so Tyana Jackson got her 100th block of the season tonight um, to set the right, or sorry, to continue to increase that record for Kansas. Um, she then went on to get three more blocks to put it up at 103. But, um, you know, that, that was a huge milestone for her. And, you know, Kansas is uh, just rolling on their way. They will be hosting this one. And we have to imagine the way that the hosting has been set up is that Kansas is probably going to host the the championship if they do advance to the championship. So could be two more opportunities to see the Jayhawks in action in Allen Fieldhouse this year. Um, so if you are a Kansas fan and, is, and are in the area and get there, find a way to do it because it's a lot of fun. I've been at every single one of the games. Um, you know, for the last, well, yeah, I've, I've been a lot of their home games. It's a lot of fun to actually see them in person in action. Uh, Kansas, of course, will play Washington. The winner of that game will go on to face uh, either Columbia or the winner of Florida Bowling Green, which will take place at 5 p.m. on Monday night. Uh, Robin Fralick is the head coach of Bowling Green. As I start Googling things, there's a name for West Virginia. I'm well, the other thing, you know, if if Bowling Green is the one that makes it and plays Kansas, Bowling Green has been in the news for for because of the altercation that happened with the Memphis player uh, at the end of that. So, oh, um, right. yeah, it's uh, it was quite the story. There are plenty of people that still had not heard about it when I was in the media room today, kind of talking with them about what was happening. So, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy WNIT. It's been a crazy season i think overall for college basketball on both the men's and women's sides in both of the tournaments whether it's ncaa or nit tournaments so um you know it wouldn't be a weird basketball season without weird basketball all the way down or i guess weird post-game shenanigans all the way down into the you know depths of the nit uh let's wrap on this uh jamie you were angry on the internet (laughs) jsj why were you angry on the internet I'm not mad. I'm oh, just disappointed. Don't, don't write that I was. Don't don't let them say that I was mad. Don't put in there that I it's, was. It's it's the classic. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Look, Steph Suarez was denied her waiver for an extra year of basketball. According to the letter of the law, she was not owed one. She played. About two to three games too many. My thought is, uh, when you're having kids going for five full years of basketball, maybe taking a a year for a, a red shirt in there or an injury red shirt or something in there, maybe taking six years to play their five years, because the NCAA recognized that sometimes in life there's extenuating circumstances that warrant doing something that hasn't been done before and granted a blanket waiver to an entire group of players to play five years of basketball if they wanted to take part in the 2020-2021 COVID year in the event that maybe they had interruptions there. Probably half the team didn't have a half the teams probably didn't have a single interruption. Then 
I think a player who decides to go to an NAIA school because of her religious convictions and because of the familial ties she has there and then wants to make the jump to D1, to D1 from NAIA for one year to try and, and make a name for herself and to try to prepare for the WNBA and then blows her knee out less than halfway into that one season. So she plays for about 3.4 seasons when her teammates are playing for five full years. If you're worried about the precedent that sets, I think if you comb the books, I I really think you're going to have a hard time finding another player that after three years jumps from NAIA to D1 to be a starter to do what Steph was doing and then gets hurt. And, and my thing is, obviously, she would have been great for the team. Would have loved to have her back for what that means for Iowa State. But ultimately, you're not counting on it. You, We have a great freshman class coming in. I'm excited about that. But she wanted to come back. She's the one who wanted to have an opportunity. She's the one who wanted to apply for the waiver in the first place. She's going to be drafted top five. Okay? Her, her future, she's fine. She's going to be great. But she wanted to have the opportunity to actually play for Iowa State and to play at the D1 level. And they decided that because it would be difficult and it might open up the fact that maybe someone else down the line can use it for justification for their own waiver. And then they might actually have to read the application and might actually have to make a difficult decision decided to say no. And there's no one who has to answer for that. You don't get to ask questions. You don't get to have a press conference. All you get to do is say, well, I guess that's it. See ya. Have a great life. Sorry. You only got 13 games here. I mean, unfortunately it's just another example of the NCAA making stupid decisions when it comes to eligibility and waivers and, Lots of inconsistencies. So, um, yeah, you know, there was a big push and a big talk about making sure, right, that we are doing things that are in the best interest of the students and the student athletes. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that, you know, it's a bunch of lip service. It doesn't happen. And I think this is another example of making a blanket decision that does not take into account what is actually happening and what is actually in the best interest um, because it would require you to think a little bit. And um, as we all know, the NCAA does not like to think, or if they are made to think, they like to punish teams for it. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, basically, if they have to think, then a team like Oklahoma State or Missouri gets punished. So, sorry. No. And I will say the funny thing no, no. is... I, honestly, she applied is... for a waiver. I'm surprised that Oklahoma State didn't take a postseason ban. So, Like, <laughs> how dare you? Um... Uh... But it's like, can you get out of your own way? Because I feel like the NCAA could always use a little bit of good PR relating to the players and could use another player coming back that was generating a lot of chatter for women's basketball, but they don't care. They just Well, and, and I think that's care. the problem. It's, it's a missed opportunity to be able to connect with players that are going to help grow the sport that they are supposed to be the you're, stewards of. You're describing things that a good business would do. No, no, I'm describing this is a, things this that is a good an organization that has literally under uh, utilized and lost money on a product that they owned because of their own incompetence and disinterest. So, uh, Hence why I'm not surprised. I'd like to say that I'm surprised. Don't say, don't tell him, don't write it in that I was surprised because I definitely wasn't that or mad. Uh, yes, the Big 12 is teaming up with Rucker Park to do some awesome news because Big 12 hit younger, hipper, cooler. Uh, if you haven't seen that news, go check it out. Uh, we don't have time to recap it. Uh, Stuart Mandel, everyone's favorite guy over at the athletic. <laughs> 
Uh, says that uh, was an interview with BYU Sports Nation back on March 15th. We missed this. Was asked how soon until Gonzaga will be a member of the Big 12. Sue's answer, quote, from what we've been told, it's inevitable. The Big 12 would add Gonzaga in all sports. So just keep that in mind. Why I made the Gonzaga t-shirt joke. We'll see if that actually happens or not. Stu is... Well, now that Gonzaga's Stu. not in the tournament anymore. No, no. You know. It's just Stu is Stu. Okay. We just... I, I don't... I'm, I'm curious how many no, I was just, I was trying to make it like lost. a coach thing, right? Like, they're not in the season anymore, so now you can make the move. <laughs> uh, anywho. Uh, and last note... Oh, first off, 1012network.com. Find every show on the network. 1012network.com, including Andy's show, Rock Chalk Podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, Bosco's Boys for Kansas State. Uh, final bit of news before we bolt. Uh, this will be our last Monday episode for a while. Uh, now that basketball season is over, we're going to cut back. Uh, summer will get real light, but for right now, we will continue our Thursday episodes pretty heavily through baseball and softball season with a heavy emphasis on softball. Uh, make sure that you tune in. We should have some good guests throughout the season. I find that I'm able to get some decent softball guests, so I will continue to bring them on. So we will continue strong with multiple guests on Thursdays. Uh, at least for, I would say, through April and into May. And we'll cut back then. But this is the last Monday episode, barring need from some sort of like emergency pod because Gonzaga gets invited and we have to throw up an episode or the Pac-12 completely and totally falls apart uh, and to nothingness is just dissolved or into dust. Or, like or Thanos you know, just snaps Kansas his fingers. Wednesday, WNIT, you know, no, I'm joking. When the Pac-12 falls apart, inevitably, I'm going to need a Brett Yarmark as Thanos with the gauntlet snapping his fingers and just watching like the schools dissolve into dust. Someone will make that GIF and it will be a beautiful thing. And I don't even hate the Pac-12. I'm just excited for the sheer uh, brilliance of that meme when it gets rolling. Uh, he is Andy Mitz, host of the Rock Chalk podcast, Andy Mitz 12 on Twitter. She is JSJ. Uh, I don't know what JSJ is up to now that Iowa State seasons are over. I'm going to coach. Awesome. Coach what? basketball what like what basketball no no there's no, no, no context she's gonna, okay she's Youth gonna coach basketball. cricket come on what she has not actually told us who the real west virginia head basketball coach is going to be oh <laughs> that's a good this, point <laughs> this is a scoop this is a scoop <laughs> you can follow jamie for that announcement on twitter at j styes j-s-t-e-y-z <laughs> Uh, 1012 Network on Twitter, 1012 Pod on Instagram. Uh, We will be back on Thursday. I'm not going to tell you anything beyond softball because if I do, it will not happen. Podcast Network.